Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, and I've titled it, Serving the Body of Christ. Last week, we looked at verses 7 through 10. And we saw that every believer has been given a spiritual gift. These gifts are given according to God's manifold sovereign grace. Paul states in verses 8 through 10 of chapter 4 that Christ descended onto earth. He went to the cross. He defeated Satan, sin, and death. He rose again the third day and took with him captives captive. The captives in Christ's victory parade were the spiritual adversaries as Satan, sin, and death whom Christ defeated on the cross, making all those that kept us captive in the bonds of sin his own captives. He ascended up into heaven, and as he ascended up into heaven, he gave gifts to men, and the Bible says he fills all in all. The sovereign king and a sovereign king and sovereign Lord, he gives gifts to men. After the sermon last week, someone asked me, how can we discover our spiritual gift? James Montgomery Boyce, a great commentator, he writes, we can discover our spiritual gift first by studying what the Bible has to say about spiritual gifts. Second, you must pray. Pray in the light of God's word. Third, assess your spiritual gifts, your strengths, your abilities on the basis of a careful study of God's word. The fourth and final thing you can do is seek wisdom of other Christians as far as your gifts are concerned. Spiritual gifts are for giving glory to God. There is a confusion in the minds of people about what spiritual gifts are present today. So I thought I'll take just three passages and walk you through or give you a bird's eye view of the different gifts that are there in the scriptures and tell you if they exist today or not. So let's look at the two passages. The two passages you're going to look at before we dive into Romans uh, to Ephesians chapter 4 is Romans chapter 12, and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And when you look at Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, easy to remember, both are chapter 12s, you will find that there is one set of gifts called the miraculous gifts, or the sign gifts, or the revelatory gifts. They passed off the scene with the completion of the New Testament canon. No longer needed. Those were apostolic gifts for the apostolic era. It's no longer in operation today. The second set of gifts is called the ministering gifts or the serving gifts. They exist today for the equipping of the body of Christ. So let's look at Romans chapter 12 and we'll begin with verse 6. It says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them of prophecy in proportion to our faith. The gift of prophecy is no longer in existence today. Romans 12, 7 says, If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, 
The gifts of service is the same as a gift of helping that we will see later on in 1 Corinthians 12.28. It means you are offering practical assistance to anyone that is requiring help. A kind of service, some mundane and some unglamorous tasks that no one even noticed, but essential for the life and effectiveness of the church. They exist today. The gift of teaching is available to the church today. The gift of teaching is the ability to interpret the scriptures, articulate the truth of God's word clearly so that others can understand it. This is a necessary qualification for elders, but it's not reserved exclusively for the elders. Others may also have the gift of teaching. Romans 12:8 continues, The one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So the gift of exhortation is to come alongside other believers to help, encourage, admonish, strengthen, and comfort other believers. Those with the gift of exhortation would usually be grounded in God's word because it is only through the word of God that you can help, encourage, comfort, and strengthen other believers. Then there is a gift of generosity or the gift of giving. It is sacrificial giving. Well, all of us as believers are to be givers. But there is someone, some people who have the gift of giving, who are able to go above and beyond their giving, their regular giving. They give sacrificially without any ulterior motives or conditions associated to it. Then he goes on to say the one who does mercy, acts of mercy, do it with cheerfulness. This is someone who has an attitude of sympathy to those who are hurting. They have the ability to come alongside and comfort and encourage other people. These are people who supernaturally have a sensitive heart towards those who are suffering, towards those who are in need. And they come alongside these people to comfort them. Let's move on to First Corinthians chapter 12. And as you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see, we'll look at two passages in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, one beginning with verse 8, going through verse 11, the other from verse 28 through verse 31. Let's begin with verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. These are revelatory gifts, gifts of wisdom, Gifts, the words of knowledge. These were sign gifts. These were to declare, receive, and declare revelation from God. It's a revelatory aspect of this gift. That doesn't exist anymore. It was for the apostolic era. But in a sense, indirectly, the non-revelatory aspect of this gift, in terms of the ability to take God's word, to understand God's word, and to articulate the truth of God's word, may be present today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, goes on to say, To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. The gift of faith is the ability to trust God in the face of difficult and trying circumstances. It is the faith of unwavering confidence in the power and promises of God. Those with this gift are characterized by persistent prayer confident that God hears the prayers of his people. 
This gift is present in the church today. The gift of healing. It refers to supernatural power over disease. It was limited to Jesus and the apostles. Today, although the gift of healing has ceased, in other words, no healing ministries, no one can come and say, I have the gift of healing. We should pray to God and ask God to heal, knowing that God hears our prayers and answers prayers of his people. There are no healing ministries, quote unquote. You don't sit at home and place your hand on the TV or buy some handkerchief that has been used by some pastor somewhere thinking it has healing powers. Like if you have sickness, what do you do? You cry out to God and God could heal you providentially according to his will and plan. First Corinthians chapter 12 verse 10 it says to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. The first gift you see here is the working of miracles. This was a sign gift that validated the office of an apostle. These bestowed, those bestowed with this gift were empowered by God to perform supernatural signs and wonders. It was an apostolic gift. The ability to exhibit power over demons, over disease, and death. It was meant only for the apostolic age. This gift is not given to any believers in the church since the apostolic age. The second gift in 1 Corinthians 12.10 is the gift of prophecy. This again was a gift given to prophets, which involved the reception and declaration of new revelation from God. It could also include predictive prophecies. Again, after the apostles passed off the scene, this ceased. After the prophets passed off the scene, this gift was ceased. In fact, after the completion of the New Testament canon, this gift no longer is in operation today. The third gift you see there in verse 10 is the ability to distinguish between spirits. This was a gift restricted to New Testament times. It was to discern between true and false statements. If you remember the story in Acts chapter 5, where Ananias and Sapphira were judged. This was a temporary miraculous gift. It is not present today. You'll say, how does it operate today? Well, if you want to discern between right and wrong, between true or false, you just pass it through the grid of God's word. And that's how you know what is right and what is wrong. The fourth and fifth gift, which was a speaking of tongues, an interpretation of tongues, as in the passage there, was a gift limited to the apostolic era. It is no longer operational today. These gifts, the gift of tongue, were real human languages, not ecstatic tongues or unintelligible nonsensical utterances as we see today. The next set of gifts that we're going to look at is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 28 through 30, 31. It says, God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then the gift of healing, helping, administrating various kinds of tongues. Verse 29, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gift of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Here you see the gift of apostles and prophets. They passed up the scene after the apostolic era. 
The gifts of miracles, healing, and various kinds of tongues passed of the scene. So we are left with the gift of teaching in verse 28, the gift of helping and administration in verse 28. The gift of teaching, as we saw, is the ability to interpret and articulate God's word. It's there today. It's a mandatory requirement for elders and pastors to have this gift of teaching. But it's not reserved for pastors. Others in the church could also have the gift of teaching. The gift of administration is similar to the gift of leading in Romans chapter 12, verse 8. Those with this gift are responsible to guide the congregation, both spiritually and everyday decision-making. These are gifted leaders who help others navigate through life and ministry by guiding them and giving them counsel. The gift of leadership clearly applies to the church pastor and elders whom God has appointed to shepherd the flock. They feed and lead the flock. So having looked at this kind of a bird's eye view, in summary, you're looking at the sign gifts, the gift of apostleship, the working of miracles, the gifts of healing, the speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, prophecy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, distinguishing between spirits, will all apostolic time gifts. These gifts are passed away with the completion of the New Testament. So what are the gifts available today? What are the gifts, as we read Ephesians chapter 4, that you and I are looking forward to, seeing if God has given those gifts to us? These are the serving gifts or the ministering gifts, such as preaching, teaching, exhortation, service and helping, leading and administration, giving, showing mercy, faith, spiritual discernment, evangelism, shepherding, and teaching. And every believer, if you're a child of God, has one or more of these gifts given by the manifold sovereign grace of God. And these are gifts that are in operation today. So having given you a bird's eye view, that was quick, let us come to the passage today. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We see two implications here. First, are you being equipped for the work of the ministry? Second, are you persevering in the work of the ministry? Let's look at the first heading, are you being equipped for the work of the ministry, which we see in verses 11 and 12. As we look at verse 11, we find that Paul is picking up the thought after verse 7. Go back to verse 7. It says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And having said that, we are hoping to read what the gifts are. 
But Paul has taken a tangent. He has taken a parenthesis and he has explained who Christ is, what he did. He came down, he took captives captive, and as he went up, a sovereign God, he gave gifts to men. And after having given us that parenthesis in verses 8, 9, and 10, he now goes on to give us the list of gifts in verse 11. What are those gifts? Do you see the gift of apostles, prophets, evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers? Verse 11 begins with the word, he himself, in the original Greek. It's emphatic. That means Christ himself gave or appointed these offices in the body of Christ. That means Christ is the one who establishes these offices. Christ is the one who calls these men to these offices. And he gives them the ability to exercise the functions they're supposed to fulfill. Now when you look at those offices there in verse 11, there are two sets of offices. You have the apostles and prophets, and then you have the evangelists and the pastor teacher. All of these offices has to do with the word of God, with the proclamation of the word of God. The first two, the apostles and prophets, has to do with the originating or the writing or the inscripturating of the word of God. The second two offices, evangelist and pastor teacher, has to do with the delivery or the explanation or the teaching or the application of the Word of God. All of these offices has to do with the Word of God. Let's look at the office of the apostle. The office of the apostle means someone who is sent out as a messenger. These are people with the official title called the Twelve. They were foundational to the church. They were appointed by the Lord Jesus himself. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20 reads that these were built, the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. With Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. We know that when a building is built, there is only one foundation that is built. And so here, the building that we're talking about is a church, the body of Christ. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 says, These were the foundations of the church, the apostles and the prophets. God spoke to them directly. And they in turn gave us the word of God. They were appointed by the Lord Jesus. They were called apostles with a capital letter A. These included 12 apostles. Minus Judas, who was a false apostle. After Judas, Matthias was appointed as an apostle. We know that Paul was included with the apostles as well. Because he had the unique privilege of seeing the risen Christ. So what was the requirement to be an apostle? The apostle were always appointed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And they had some requirements. They had to have seen the risen Christ. We read that in Acts chapter 1, verses 22, 21 and 22. That beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taking, taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So they had to have seen the risen Christ. You will say, how about Paul, the apostle Paul? 
When did he see the risen Christ? Well, he saw the risen Christ on his way to Damascus. And we read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, where the apostle Paul says, Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? So number one, they had to have seen the risen Christ. Number two, they had to have the ability to perform miracles. This was an authentication of the apostleship. Whenever there was an apostle, the word of God was not complete. So whatever they said had to be confirmed. And how was it confirmed? It was confirmed, it was authenticated by the miracles they did. That is why the apostles had the miracle, the ability to do miracles, and the ability to perform signs and wonders. Number three, they had authority to establish churches and build it up. We read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 8. It says, if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up, not destroying you, I will not be ashamed. The apostles wrote scriptures. There would be no New Testament if the apostles did not write scriptures. The apostles were the ones who wrote scriptures. And after the apostle died, there was no one to succeed them. We read that because uh, when, uh, when uh, John died, there were no more apostles. There was no hierarchy of apostles. No longer are there any apostles. The apostles passed off the church scene. They were there as the foundation for the building up of the church. Next, we come to the gift of prophets. These are New Testament prophets, not Old Testament prophets. We are talking about New Testament prophets. The New Testament prophets preached to the churches that the apostles had established. They were kind of follow-up people. The prophets would teach and preach the apostolic doctrines. And occasionally they would get direct revelation. As you look at the scriptures, you find in Acts chapter 11 that Agabus was a prophet. And he predicted that there would be a great famine over the world. We also read in Acts chapter 21 that he had predicted that Paul would be taken imprisoned, um, he would be taken as a prisoner, and that he had warned Paul about it. These prophets predicted future events, but at times they also expounded on the revelation that they already had. John McCarter, he writes, The apostles are forerunners to the evangelists who went out and proclaimed Christ and founded churches. The prophets went in and made practical application to the church. The prophets were, the not, were not the same as apostles. So the, apostles, the prophets, like the apostles, were also foundational to the New Testament church. There are no more prophets today. There is no need for prophets today because the New Testament is already written and codified. The prophets passed off the scene. So the first two offices in Ephesians chapter 4, verses, verse 11, the apostles and prophets have passed off the scene. So you're left with evangelists and shepherds and teachers. Let's come to the office of an evangelist. Who is an evangelist? An evangelist is someone who is involved in the expansion of the church. An evangelist is someone who presents Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, where Christ is not born, I mean, Christ is not known. They preach the Evangelion, the good news, the gospel. It occurs only two times in the New Testament, once in reference to Philip, who is an evangelist, 
and one's in reference to Timothy, who is known as an evangelist. These evangelists are like modern-day missionaries. They go into a place where Christ is not proclaimed, they share the gospel, and there's a Bible study set up, and they start a church, and then they move on. Well, the church was taking care of the church. The pastor teacher comes in, takes care of the church, and the evangelist moves on to another town, preaches the gospel, plants the church, and then the pastor teacher comes in, and then he moves on to another town. That's what an evangelist does. Next, so the, the gift of the evangelist is pretty much present today. There are evangelists today who's got the ability to go and share the gospel and, and plant churches. The next gift that we see in verse 11 is that of a pastor teacher. Now, if you see, I did not say pastor and teacher, because grammatically, and we can go into it, and we don't have to do that right now. Come to me later, and I'll explain to you. But the pastor teacher are not two offices. They are one, uh, that's one office. So you have a pastor, hyphen teacher, pastor teacher. The word for pastor teacher is the Greek word poimen. It's the only time this word comes in the New Testament. It means shepherd. That means someone who is involved in the, in the process or the act of shepherding. You know who a shepherd is. He takes the sheep, allows them to grace, takes care of them, brings them back into the fold. That's who a shepherd is. Would you please turn with me to Acts in the New Testament, the book of Acts. And I want you to turn to Acts chapter 20, verse 28, please. Reads, Pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he has obtained with his own blood. There are two things you see the pastor teacher doing here. It says he has made you an overseer. That means someone who is leading. Someone who is overseeing. And then the next phrase says to care for the church of God. This is where you see the word shepherding or caring for the sheep. That means the pastor leads the flock and he feeds the flock. This is how simple it gets. The pastor leads the flock and feeds the flock. Turn with me to another passage, please, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, towards the end of the New Testament, right before the book of 1 John. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, reads, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So here in 1 Peter chapter 5, you find again the pastor teacher ought to shepherd the flock. That means he's feeding the flock. And then he's exercising oversight or leading the flock. Simple as it gets. Feed the flock and lead the flock. This is all I do as a pastor here at Family Heritage Church. Just feed the flock and lead the flock. Or lead the flock and feed the flock. I feed the congregation. How do I feed the congregation? By teaching and preaching God's word. I'm committed to expository preaching. As I told you, I basically read the text, 
explain the text, and apply the text. That's feeding the flock. How do I lead the flock? Well, I lead the flock by example. I set a pattern for you. I love God's word. I love God's glory. I love my family. I love you people. That's the example I set for you as I lead the flock. And what you do is just follow that example, as simple as it gets. I feed and I lead. This is important for us as we look at the office of a pastor. Let's continue on into Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. Let me read verse 11 and continue on into verse 12. So you get the connection. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. This is the goal. This is the purpose. The purpose of the office of the offices, by the way, apostles and prophets are pastors on the scene. The purpose of the office that you see in terms of evangelists and a pastor teacher is essentially to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, there's an interpretive problem here. And this is where, if you have a King James Bible in your hand, you will read that in the King James the comma is after the word saints. So according to the King James, if you're reading the King James, the man who preaches and teaches, that means the pastor teacher, has been given to the church for three purposes. To perfect the saints, to do the work of the ministry, to edify or build up the body of Christ. Thus, according to the King James, who does all the work? The pastor teacher. So that means a distinction is created between the clergy and the lay people. The lay people just show up in church and the pastor teacher does all the work. But that is not the interpretation that the Apostle Paul has in mind. Because if you look into the original Greek... There is no comma after the word saints. Therefore, this verse should mean what? Well, let me explain to you. The pastor teacher is given to equip the saints so that in turn, the saints can go out and do the work of the ministry, resulting in building up the body of Christ. That's the purpose of the ministry of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastor teacher. Is to equip the body of Christ. Equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Let's come back to verse 12. It says to equip. The word equip in the original is the word used for the practice of setting a bone in place. Some of you probably have a shoulder, had a shoulder that was dislocated. And you went to the chiropractor or you went to the, the physical therapist and he put the bone in place, in the socket. That's the Greek word here, to equip someone. That means the body part or the part of your body is not functioning in the way it is fun supposed to function 
And so you need to put it in place, equip it or put it in place so that it functions in a harmonious and satisfactory manner. It's the idea of equipping the body so that each one is functioning the way he or she ought to function. That's the main purpose of the minister. That's the purpose of the pastor is to equip the saints in this church so that the saints might do the work of the ministry. The divine design of the pastoral staff is to equip the body. And as each one of you are equipped, you are in turn called to do the work of the ministry and in turn promote spiritual growth in the body. This is what you must do when you hire a pastor, someone who is able to equip the body. This is what you must do when you place elders in place in the body of Christ. An elder who is able to equip the body of Christ spiritually. How do you equip the body of Christ? Simple. It's nothing but the word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 and 17 says, All scriptures breathed out by God, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be approved unto all good works. What is used to approve and build up the man of God? Nothing but the word of God. The work of the ministry does not consist in talking about politics. It does not consist in talking about current affairs or some cool fad out there. The the purpose of the ministry is to proclaim God's word. The minister is to preach the word of God. That's the only thing that can equip the body of Christ for the work of the ministry. So the goal of the pastor teacher, the job description of the pastor is to equip the body. And you may say, equip you to do what? The answer is to do the work of the ministry. You'll say, pastor, that's your job. No. My job is to help you do your job. Your job is to do the work of the ministry. My job is to help you mature, to help you equip, or to help you get to an understanding of God's word, understand your spiritual gifts, so that you can find your spiritual gift, and you can put your spiritual gift to use within the body of Christ. God has a ministry for each one of you. God did not save you and put you here on earth as a spectator. I told you that. God could have saved you and pulled you straight up into heaven, sucked you straight up into heaven, and job is done, right? That's not what happens. He saves you and he leaves you right here on planet earth. You are put into a local body, which is a tangible expression of the universal church, for you to show up and be an active worker in the ministry of Jesus Christ. After being equipped, obviously, not to be a spectator. His job is for you to get onto the field and play the game. Not to sit on the bench. Whether you are a first baseman, a second baseman, an outfielder, a center fielder, or a right fielder, or an infielder, or a catcher, or a pitcher, you are supposed to do your job. Every single member ought to function in the body in the way they are supposed to function. That means you ought to know what your spiritual gifts are. And as you know your spiritual gift, you're able to exercise and carry the work 
of ministry within the body of Christ. Let's come to the next phrase in verse 12. It says, To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That means the body of Christ is to be built up or edified. The goal is so that the body would grow. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. We read, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the goal, spiritual growth in the lives of members of the body of Christ. So as the pastor teacher equips you, you are in turn going to do the work of the ministry. And as you do the work of the ministry, guess what? The body of Christ is growing and becoming mature. So what does a church look like? What should a church look like? Every member is busy doing ministry in the church. They'll be busy counseling one another. They'll be busy teaching the word of God. They'll be busy doing Bible studies for one another. They'll be busy discipling one another. They'll be busy doing the ministries in the church. So the body of Christ may be built up. So when a visitor comes to the church... He doesn't see one minister up there, but he sees ministers as in plural because he sees the entire body doing the work of the ministry. May I hear an amen to that? Absolutely. This, my beloved, is the New Testament model. On a sidebar, there are some people who are eager to do the work of the ministry, but they don't want to get equipped. I mean, they'll just show up when it's time for them to do ministry. But they don't want to get equipped or taught through God's word. You have a classic example of that in the Bible. Martha. Remember Martha in the New Testament? The story is found in Luke chapter 10. She was busy doing the ministry. Busy. Martha worked so hard that the Bible says she was distracted with her preparations. But the Bible states something. She missed doing the good part of sitting at the Lord's feet. She did not get equipped for the ministry. She was busy serving. So we need to be equipped. And who does the work of equipping? The pastor teacher. And that's the first heading that we looked at. Let's now come to the second heading. The second heading is are you persevering in the work of the ministry? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In verse 13, we see three prepositional phrases. Now before you think what they are, Prepositional phrases are phrases with the preposition to. There are three prepositional phrases. To the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a mature man. To the measure of the stature for which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So if you're looking for an outline in verse 13, there is the outline in verse 13. But before you look at the three phrases, I want you to look at the phrases introducing the three phrases. And that's found at the start of verse 13. Until we all attain to. The word attain 
means arrive at a particular state. That means you get to a point where you are able to do what you're designed to do. The goal is for all of us. It says all in verse 13. It says until we all attain to the unity. Not just anyone in the world. It's believers until we all believers attain. That's the end goal. Now let's look at the three phrases. The first phrase is to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. When you talk about the faith here, the faith is referring to the content of what is believed. It's the doctrine of Christian truth. It's what's contained in God's word. It's the body of revealed truth that constitutes Christian teaching. And attaining to the unity of the faith would be reaching a point where each one of us as saints has so grown in the knowledge and understanding of God's word that we are all united in the faith. Now it's not only unity of the faith that's the goal. The next part of that says, to the knowledge of the Son of God. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17, it's knowledge of knowing God. But here in Ephesians 4.13, it's knowing Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Not some abstract knowledge, not just knowing about Christ, but knowing Christ. It's knowing Christ who is the treasure of wisdom and understanding. It's knowing Christ given to us by God to reconcile us to Him. It's knowing Christ who alone is our righteousness. It's knowing Christ who washed us from all our spots and blemishes, forgave us of our sins. It's knowing Christ who satisfied all the debts that we had against God. It's knowing Christ who took the wrath of God upon Him. It's knowing Christ who is seated at the right hand of God. And He's our advocate, interceding to God on behalf of us. It is knowing Christ in a personal way. It's knowing Christ more and more on a moment-by-moment basis. It's knowing Christ by having communion and fellowship with Him, personally. And as we come to know Christ deeply, personally, we will be united to that friend as well. So Paul says that's the first goal. And we got to persevere till we get to that point. In our ministering. And that is till we have attained to the unity of the faith. And the knowledge of the Son of God. Let's look at the next phrase. The next phrase is to be a mature man. The word mature means perfect. It's the same word that's used for sacrifices in the Old Testament. Some the sacrifices that are without spot and without blemishes. And Paul is referring here in a sense to the body of Christ. To present the body of Christ as a mature man, but in a sense, we are all belonging to the body of Christ. We as individuals are individual parts of the body of Christ. And so when we mature, the body of Christ is matured. And one day we will be mature. We will all be seeing Christ face to face. That's what 1 John chapter 3 verse 2 says. It says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we do know when he appears, the Bible says we will be as he is, for we will see him face to face. 
And so we continue our ministry in the body of Christ. We persevere in our ministry in the body of Christ until we attain to that maturity. Question, are you growing up to be a mature man? Are you? Are you a student of God's word? Because that's word help you to become more like Christ. Are you ingrained in God's word? Are you meditating on God's word? Are you, do you know the revelation of God's glory in God's word? Do you know Christ in God's word? I mean, do you know God's love letter? Folks, this is God's love letter for you. Do you know this? Because as you know more and more of it, you will have the mind of Christ. And as you begin to have the mind of Christ, you're going to become more like Christ. And on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis, as you walk this world, in this world, you will one day become more and more and more like Christ until you see Him face-to-face and you'll be transformed into the image of His glory. That's what maturity is all about. The last goal... We got to be ministering in the body of Christ. And that's in the third phrase that's found in verse 13. Until we grow to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That means you become Christ-like. The reason God has predestined every believer, we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, is to be confirmed to the image of His Son. That means as members of the body of Christ, we got to radiate the beauty of Christ. Keep in mind that Christ is the embodiment of God. And Christ, who is the embodiment of God, dwells in the church. And when Christ dwells in the church, and we are in union with Christ, guess what our life should look like? should reflect Christ. That means when the world looks at our lives, they ought to see Christ in us. This is what Philippians chapter 2 says, Let this mind be also in you, which was in Christ Jesus. We got to radiate Christ's perfection. And that's the goal of your ministry. Let me summarize all this and put all these things together so you can walk away with those truths. We learn that we are to be equipped for the work of the ministry. You have a spiritual gift. If you're a believer. And as believers, you know how to find your spiritual gift. Seek God. Pray to God. Ask God to show you in the light of God's word. Talk to fellow believers. They've probably seen you and they know what your spiritual gift is. And once you know your spiritual gift or gifts, use it. How do you use it? Be equipped. For doing that. That's why you come to church. That's why you're part of a corporate service. That's why you're part of a Bible study. You want to get equipped for the work of the ministry. And once you get equipped for the work of the ministry, go out and equip one another for the work of the ministry. So that the body of Christ is built up. And we looked at the second outline, persevering until we reach the goal. And what's the goal? There were three prepositional phrases. And those three phrases are, number one, as you see in verse 13, until we retain the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God. It's an ongoing thing, progressively, but one day you will see Him face to face. Two, until we get to the maturity, be a perfect man. Again, we ought to grow into our maturity every day, but one day you will see Him face to face and you will be perfectly mature 
And thirdly, it says that you would be Christ-like. That's the goal. You don't give up in your ministry when you don't see results. You persevere in it because the goal is what? That goal is the end goal. And God is going to bring about that end goal in his sovereign time. I encourage you, brothers and sisters, children of God, let's get busy. Let's stop being spectators. Let's stop sitting on the bench. Let's get onto the field. And let's start laboring. And let us become co-laborers in the ministry that God has assigned for each one of us. Father, we pray that you would be honored and glorified through this church, through this body, that each one of us would be out there being equipped, ready to get into the ministry, to serve you and to honor you and to glorify you each and every day. Father, we thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.